Let's start in Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. Come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord. Joyfully to the Lord. Shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. His hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. I just want to take a moment and wish you a Merry Christmas. I know everybody does that this year, but as we celebrate this virgin birth of our Lord and Savior, I would really encourage you guys as an individual and as a family to get together sometime during the next few days and just uh, reflect on the power of this message, the power of the message of who Jesus is. Today, I want to talk to you about bowing your knees. I was thinking about this. Did I, have I ever heard a message on bowing the knee, bowing the knee? Um, no, I actually haven't. And so today I'm going to hear it for the first time. And so are you. So uh, I, I admit it's kind of a strange subject. It's actually, you know, somebody was asking me, uh, well, you're preaching on bowing the knee. Okay. Uh, they said, well, what does that have to do with Christmas? And I said, I, you know, I think it does. Uh, you'll, you'll see. But I think that maybe even if you're like out there and you're going, well, I have bad knees. This message isn't for me. So I think you'll find something in this because as the wise men are seeking the king of the Jews, and in this story that we're so familiar with, uh, we're going to see them do exactly that, bow the knee. Let's look at the story, Matthew chapter 2, in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, you know, I mean, Herod didn't like this very well. So, he, I mean, he said, like, wait a second, guys. You know the king of the Jews. It, I mean, like, look who's in the palace. Like, I've got the, I've got the title. You know, I mean, I'm pretty close to that. Like, there's no other king of the Jews, is there? You know, is this messianic thing that you're talking about? I, uh, I don't know. I have a problem with that. And you know the story. You know, Herod took some really drastic steps, some pretty violent steps. Now, they knew that Jesus was going to be born in Bethlehem, so they went to Bethlehem, and the wise men head there, and they don't report back to Herod because they're wise men. They know what Herod's going to do. And then picking it up in verse 10, uh, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. So, so when you see something, a sign of the coming Messiah, you're filled with joy. It's, I love that. They entered the house, and they saw the child with, with his mother, Mary, and they, and they did something. They, they bowed down, and they worshiped him. So get that in your mind for a second. They entered the house. They saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshiped him. And then they opened their treasure chests and then they gave him these gifts that we all, you know, see in the nativity scene, right? The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh. You know, what's interesting is whatever you're picturing right now in your head, bowing to the baby Jesus, that nativity scene picture, you know, the, the treasure box opened, um, I hate, hate to, to break your bubble, but that's probably not the right picture 
I mean, every Christmas card says it, though. So we know that a wise, the wise men were bowing down to a baby, right? Well, actually, you may not know this, uh, but most scholars believe it. It actually didn't really happen that way. Jesus was not just a baby. He was likely a toddler, likely around between one and two years old. Why, why do I think that? Well, there's several reasons. Number one, uh, they traveled over 900 miles to, or so to get there wasn't like air travel, so that took a long time. That could take months, could take years. Um, and also note that they did not enter into the manger. They entered into a house, okay? So not a manger, a house. Another thing is the, the word that's used there for a child with his mother is not the word for infant. It's actually a word for child, little child. And, and also Herod, Herod seemed to understand this as well because he targeted children to and under um, in, in Bethlehem. So... So, so to me, I, I think there's enough evidence there to suggest that, that the, the manger scene, uh, and again, I don't mean to burst your bubble. If you've got that, if you paid lots of money for your manger scene, it's fine. It's totally fine. Uh, but, it, but they're bowing down not to a baby. It's likely there's, there's, there's a two-year-old there. And then, to me, that changes the whole dynamic of the scene. Now, honestly, how many of you guys have had a two-year-old? I mean, you had one, have one, raised one. Anybody know one, Right. <clears throat> so, I'm, by the way, I'm fighting losing my voice if that happens during the service. And it just is what it is. I'll whisper the message out to you. Uh, but, but honestly, I'm the kind of guy that would judge uh, a parent with their unruly two-year-old. Two I'm just being honest with you. So, um, bef until I had one. So, then everything changes. But, you know, when you're looking across a restaurant, you don't have kids, and, you know, there's a kid, and he's picked up his mashed potatoes, and uh, he's throwing it on the ground, you know, like, I, you just go, what in the world is that all about? And, and then they, like, you know, they pick up the kid. I never kind of understood this about toddlers, but you pick them up, and then they just go limp. What is that? And, like, they just go, go limp on you, and I'm like, hey, when I'm a parent, I'm going to do so much better than that. So, you know, I read the books and, and we watched the videos. Then I planned on, well, the timeout rule, I'm going to try that on them and they're going to turn out just great. Then I, I, I said to myself, like, I've got it all figured out. I'm going to be that, that parent that's going to navigate the two-year-old stage. It's going to be totally fine. But then I had one. And then everything changes. And you know that, right? So for a while, you know, we'd stand strong. Um, we, we'd follow the rules. But then, uh, you know, we'd say no. To them, you know, you got to say, parents got to learn how to say no to your kids. Uh, but then what happens is they, they do wear you down. You know, those of you who have had two-year-olds have them, you know, they do wear you down. And then a certain, all of a sudden we notice ourselves uh, uh, caving at times, you know, just all oh, do whatever you want, you know, just be quiet, you know, eat anything. Go oh, candy, you want candy? Sure, have candy. Money, you know, you can have like open, daddy's opening his wallet as a two-year-old, I don't know what money is. And then be like, you can have a pony, you can have a race car, a cat. Okay, well, I have limits and no cat. But um, you, you just give them whatever, whatever they want. I, it's kind of funny because a two-year-old will lie. I can fly. You know, no, you can't. You're two year and, and you're gross. You have crackers up your nose. You know, two-year-olds are kind of gross. There's actually no other creature alive that will look you in the eye. A two-year-old will do this, look you dead in the eye, square in the face, stare you down, and be doing something in their diaper right at that moment. And, then, and you can kind of tell when they're doing it, too, because they have that little twitch. On, on their, they tighten their lips a little bit, I think. I don't know. Uh, this is my kid, but I don't know about yours. Anyway, I say all this to say this, that when the wise men are bowing down, they are bowing down what is to what is likely about a two-year-old child. And what, what must have that like been? 
and and I, I think it changes, for me, it changes the picture uh, completely. Kneeling in the presence of God is something that we don't talk about, we don't, uh, we don't do very often, it's not a part of our culture, but I think we want to call it what it is. It's not comfortable to think about this idea of kneeling. And, and so may, many of us, we're comfortable maybe lifting our hands, and some of you guys, maybe you've done that for the first time uh, at our church, and it, as an act of worship, it just kind of pushes you out of your comfort zone. And so many of you guys are comfortable about raising your hands, but, um, but kneeling, you know, wow, that's, a, that's different territory. I don't, know if I, could, I don't know if I could do that. Many of you are thinking that, and I, I understand I think guys, you know, guys tend to kneel about two times in their lives. Number one is when they're down on their knees and they're proposing to their girl, right? And then, uh, and then there's kind of a payoff on, on the other side of that kneel. But then the second one, of course, is the football picture, you know, down on your, knee, on your knees like this and, you know, this, that pose. And then you get your picture taken. There's another kneeling. Girls, I'm not sure that you guys ever kneel. Uh, maybe like when you pose in pictures, like that's kind of kneeling. Like that Instagram pose? I don't know. That's kind of like kneeling. But culturally speaking, many of us don't go around kneeling. And yet when you look at God's word, you see opportunities over and over again uh, for us to kneel down in humble submission to the, to the awe and the goodness of our God. Back to Psalm 95. Let me read verses 6 and 7 one more time to you. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Let us worship and bow down. The Hebrew word for this translated as worship in this case is shekah. Shekah is actually used 175 times in the Old Testament. It means to bow down low, to kneel to worship. It actually has a physical connotation of kneeling uh, embedded within that word, shakah, kneeling in submission. And one reason why culturally we don't kneel often is that fundamentally we do not understand and comprehend the holiness of God. And if we truly understood it, I believe that we would want to kneel before him. What is the holiness of God? It's that attribute in scripture that's mentioned about God more than any other, more than the love of God, more than the peace of God, is the holiness of God. God is holy. God is holy. The Bible tells us that even at the very end of the age, that the angels will be singing eternally, holy, holy, holy in heaven, you know, Lord God Almighty. It is it is an attribute of God mentioned most often in Scripture. What does it mean? It means that God is other. God is not like anything. God is different. He is better than, uh, it, it, he is um, transcendent above. He is holy. He is large. He is something greater than our comprehension. God is holy. That's what it means. Then I think if we truly understood that, then we would have a sense of what it means to submit and to kneel before him. So holy is our God that mortal man cannot even look upon God in his essential being and live. When Moses wanted to see the glory of God, if you remember, God said, well, you know what you can do? You, you know, you can't handle my full glory, but you can hide in this little crack in the rock here and then hide your eyes and I'll pass by you and then you can see the, the tail, the trail end of it, but you cannot look upon my face, God says, and live and live. No one, um, no one can. 
In the Old Testament, the, uh, once a year, the, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, the sacred place where the presence of God uh, was. And it was such a holy place that uh, once a year they would go in, but the, the high priest would have to have a rope tied to his ankle. So if he had unconfessed sin or he was ritually impure, he would die in the presence of God and they would have to haul him out with the rope. That's the presence of God. And we start to comprehend that God the one who spoke the universe into existence, suddenly bef- kneeling before him doesn't seem, uh, it just, suddenly kneeling before him seems like the right thing to do. It just seems like a natural thing to do, given who he is. Now, God doesn't explicitly say in Scripture, you can't find it, kneel before me. He doesn't explicitly say that. He does, however, say all the time, don't bow to other things that aren't me. Don't bow to false gods. Don't bow to idols. Don't bow to those things. But he never says, bow to me explicitly. But it's embedded in this idea of worshiping fully. And so my invitation to you today is to worship fully, to bring all your gifts and pour them out. Pour out your heart and worship to him. And every now and then, in fact, even often, to kneel before him, to get down on your knees, or maybe even get down on your face before him and say, God, I want there to be less of me and more of you. God, I want to diminish. I don't want, I want to become less so that you can become greater. And so I kneel before you. And what better time in the middle of Christmas to stop and to think about, to pause and to worship that he, Jesus, became one of us, that he came not in a palace, not in Herod's palace, but he came in a cave and he wants and desires our worship. There's three reasons why you might want to bow. Three reasons. Number one, you might want to bow or kneel in pursuit of God himself. So a man that came had a question for Jesus. And he, in Mark 10, it says that uh, as, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, the man ran up. And he knelt down. He got down on his knees before him. And he asked him a question. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Every time I've read that scripture, by the way, I've always sort of focused on the question. So the question's a powerful question, but what about the posture? It didn't seem like until I started studying for this and I noticed that the kneeling part was actually featured really prominently there, that the posture has a lot to do with this. In fact, he had everything else. He was rich and he was young that everybody else wants and that we hold really high in our culture, but he was missing the thing that everybody needs. And when he came to Jesus in pursuit of the answer to that question, what did he do? He fell on his knees before God. Are you pursuing him? Maybe you're not quite there. You're not a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. You have, you have questions. You're seeking God. You, uh, you want answers. You're diligently pursuing him. But you haven't yet gotten to that point where you are following Jesus. My question to you is this. How, how um, voracious is your appetite for truth? How much will you pursue Jesus? And how, how rapidly will you get down on your knees in humble and glad obedience to him? And ask the question and say, God, I want to become lesser in this moment. I want your truth to emerge. Are you pursuing him? 
Maybe you need to pray, God, if you are really there, show me, reveal yourself to me. But you need to do it on your knees. And, and so many people, in fact, one of the biggest problems in talking to somebody about their faith, and this might be helpful to you if you have a friend or maybe you're dealing with this, is that, that we can look at Scripture in the wrong way. One, one is that we can look at Scripture as we are above it and we're judging it ourselves, but we're not under its authority. In other words, it's not revealing to us. We're actually in judgment over Scripture. And so if you can invert that, you can get down on your knees before God and you can say, it's your truth that matters. I have a question for you and I'm going to lay myself low so that you can begin to speak to me. That's what the rich young ruler was doing. He didn't like the answer, but that's how he did it. So you can kneel in pursuit. Number two, you can kneel in repentance. One of the things that uh, we do often in this season is we break the heart of God. We do that all the time. It's not just the Christmas season, but the Christmas season sort of has a way of magnifying, right? The things that hurt us or hurt other people. Like Christmas is just a giant magnifier. Now, if we have good times, like Christmas can make them really, really good. If we have hard times, we're going through loss or something like that, then, then it can be really, really hard. It just seems to magnify everything. The weight of it all, Christmas can be really difficult. And we can be smiling on the outside and, in fact, grieving on the inside. And when it comes to repentance, here is what, I, I love this story. It's a story of Peter interacting with Jesus in Luke 5. And, uh, and after Jesus had finished speaking, he said to, he turns to Simon Peter, he's a fisherman, and he says, hey, put out into deep water and, and uh, let your nets down for a catch, you know? Okay, let's, you know, we've tried it many times. And he says to, to Jesus, well, master, um, we've worked hard all night long and we've caught nothing. So, you know, this isn't a new idea. Thanks. You're not being really innovative, but at your word, because I'll trust you, um, I will let down the nets. And when they did this, of course, they caught a great number of fish. You know the story. The nets began to tear. They signaled to their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came. They filled up both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, this is the, his reaction. His reaction was to get down on his knees at the feet of Jesus. And he said, he said, go away from me. He said, I'm not even worthy to be around you because I am a sinful man, Lord. Again, it was a response to the holiness of God. Peter said that something is, this, this is not just a mere man. This is my Lord, my Savior, and I'm a sinful man. And so just being around Jesus sort of revealed Peter's sin. And his response was to get down on his knee, knees and say, I'm sinful. I'm unfaithful. I'm faithless. I, I, I just, I, I I'm humbled, God. You don't even need to be near me because I'm such a sinful man. What is beautiful about that is Jesus never turns away a sinner with a repentant heart. He didn't turn away Peter. He won't turn away you if you kneel in repentance. So you can kneel in, you can, uh, kneel in obedience to God. You can kneel in repentance to God. And number three, you can kneel in submission. And uh, this one's hard because uh, for, for those of us who can't let go of a particular area in our lives, kneeling in submission sounds really hard. Because it's, it's the act of saying, um, I don't want to control this anymore. It's the mentality that says only Jesus can control it. So if you're like me, you want everything your way. God has maybe been reaching out to you for years, saying there's this area in your life I want you to submit to it. You won't surrender to it, but I want you to, I want you to come humbly before me and to kneel in submission. What's kind of crazy about that is that Jesus did it. He did. Jesus was born to die. He knew what he was going to come, to go through rather. And he knew the agony that was going to come. And in the garden, uh, Luke 22 says in verse 41, that he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, got into a private place, and then he knelt down and he began to pray. And he said, Father, if you are willing, 
take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So a couple of things about that prayer. Number one is he did it kneeling in submission to his father. And he began to pray, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, but never, nevertheless, not my will and yours be done. It was a prayer of surrender. The surrender prayer is this, not my will, not what I want, but what you want be done. And for some of you, that's what you kind of need to pray today. Not my will, not what I want, but what you want, God. Kneeling to pray is often what really gives us the strength to stand, isn't it? So we kneel to pray, and it gives us the strength in the difficult moments to stand tall because we've submitted to God. Here's the secret. Ready? I'm going to tell you a secret. You can either kneel now, or you can kneel later. But man, you're going to kneel. You're going to kneel. One day, you can do it in pursuit of repentance in truth, on your own, or one day when it's not your choice, you will kneel. The reason I say that is because the Bible tells us that's exactly what's going to happen. In Philippians 2.8, Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. For this reason, God also exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name. So at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those that are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That Jesus Christ is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. Now, that should really kind of be, uh, that, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like really serious heaviness to that verse, but I also think that's a lightness to it. And that is that, you know what? You shouldn't worry about people that are shaking their fist at God. You know, we're not like, well, one of these days, you know, they're just, you know, they're getting away with something. They're not getting, no one's getting away with anything. At some point in our lives, we faced a just God and we will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's an amazing thought, right? It frees us up from having to force somebody down our opinion trail or anything like that. Jesus is Lord, and the knee will bow. Either you can do it out of love for him, or you can do it because of his wrath. And our response is this. Like, you know, often it's really, so I I, I struggled with how do you respond to this, other than like saying, okay, now everyone, we're going to bring up, you know, Nicole, and she's going to lead us in a song, and then I'm going to have all of you guys bow. Just just so you know, I'm not going to make you do that. Uh, But but I struggled with how do you respond in a message that is encouraging you to to bow in submission, to bow in repentance. You know, how do you you respond to that? And my, this is what I want to say. Like, when it comes to, uh, Tying our, our body with our emotions and understanding the connection between our physical posture and our spiritual posture. We're so good at that at sports games, right? You know, when our team is winning and we're super, super excited, like we are going to be later on this, you know, today when the Seahawks beat the Cardinals. And, um, and we're going to get excited. We're going to clap. We're going to scream, you know, because we understand how to do that. We understand at concerts, you know, when the artist starts playing to, you know, to shout, to take pictures, to do the candle thing, whatever we do at concerts, we, already, we know when we're feeling it, we, we express it. Uh, but here's the question is, how many of you also understand the connection between the body and the spirit that are, are lifting hands and singing and dancing before God, uh, whatever, whatever it is, that there's an outward expression of an inward posture. And maybe for you, you have a hard time with that, but there is a connection. And so whether it is lifting hands or singing or bowing before God, do it because you feel it 
And when you feel it on the inside, be challenged. And maybe you're not the type of person to do it publicly. That's fine. But do it, and I encourage you to try it. Try it, and maybe try it often. And, and how many of you guys would say that today I will consider bowing before the Lord in a private moment, maybe between me and Jesus, or, or perhaps gathering the family together and kneeling by, you know, the, the, the child's bed and, and getting down before God and saying, Lord, I want to become something lesser and I want you to become greater. And today we worship you, Lord, just like the wise men worship Jesus. We're going to worship Jesus on our knees before him because he is greater and we are lesser. He is holy and we are not. He is amazing. He is powerful. He is glorious. And our worship begins to take a, a different shape, a, a shape of authenticity, because, because the way we feel on the inside is coming out on the outside. It's an authentic a worship. And that's what we're after, right? Not faking it. We're, we're, we're trying to get there together to worship um, in, in spirit and in truth. And so my challenge today uh, to, to consider bowing often, that I will align my bodily posture with what I understand about God and what I know my spiritual posture is, I will consider doing that. So bowing the knee. How many of you guys have ever heard a message on bowing before God? I, okay. Well, there it is. Now you have. <laughs> and, um, and, and, let's, and let's just pray. Let's just actually take this in together. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of who you are. You are a holy God over and over again. Your word talks about how holy you are and how our response is, is to worship you by playing cymbals, by singing, by dancing, by, by calling you um, our, our Father and, and also to bow before you, God, to kneel and bow. And I, 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 I'm astounded by how many times I've studied through this there is bowing in the Bible and, and the wise men bowing before Jesus is such a beautiful picture of that. Lord, in this Christmas season with all the busyness and maybe we're already thinking about like, you know, who we're going to have over, what we're going to do for, for, uh, for dinner on Wednesday or presents we're opening up in the morning and, and maybe like family coming over and we're stressing about that. And maybe for a moment today, <clears throat> we just want to bow before you to, to quiet down, to slow down, to put our eyes upon you and to worship you in joy and spirit and in truth. We thank you, Jesus. Your presence is rich in this place. Heavenly Father, we bow down and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.